Eddie, say something. Mic check. Hello. Julio, say something. Mic check. Wow. Y'all hear the I difference? Sound good. Back in the motherfucking stew, man. Hoop and Holler coming at you live from Annenberg Media Center. Back in the fucking studio. Y'all, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? This is crazy. It is wild. Insane. Yeah. Context for y'all. If you okay, if you're not a diehard Hoop and Holler fan, you ain't been listening from the jump. If you came on a little bit later, know that we're USC students, right? Um, and we use the podcast studio at USC Annenberg to record our podcast. At least we did prior to COVID-19, and right? it's different here. It it's is not different. Ju- it's not just any podcast is the Yeah, this is like professional great. Like, you can hear it. We ain't got to tell y'all what it is. You can hear it in our voices right now. And we came in. It was Eddie and I's freshman year. It was Julio's sophomore year, but it was all of our first year here. Um, and we recorded in this studio every week for a semester and some change. And got sent home. Made it work, right? Did it via Zoom. Obviously, you heard the little technical difficulties we had. It's a different mic sound, whatever the hell the case may be. We made it work, but it ain't nothing like being up in here with y'all, man. Not being too. able to, like, interact with y'all, look at you in the face, Eddie, when I think you're saying some dumb shit, you know? Uh-huh. It's wild. <laughs> so I want to start here before we jump into the episode. What is your favorite moment from the first time we were in this studio recording our previous stint? You know what I'm saying? That first little semester and some change from August to March. What was your favorite moment? That's kind of a tough one. I'd say my favorite episode would have to be the all-star episode where we drafted a bunch of like all-time dudes. Oh, that um, was a fun episode. That, that was a very we kind of went ham for that. Uh, I remember the graphics. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. yeah. And that was we, a fun episode. We did it with Cam, so that's another part that made yeah. it fun. Um, but I'd say favorite moment, that, that's kind of tough. I might lean when Reagan's dad was actually present in flesh. Yeah. Through there. That was fun. Um, and, uh, that was he, family weekend, right? Yeah. Had to he, be. Uh, his family's just watching us uh, uh, and, and listening to us just argue. So it's like a live fun. show. Yeah. <laughs> live audience. Y'all want that? You can pull up now. Maybe not everybody can pull up, yeah. but hey. All right. What about you, Eddie? Um, I feel kind of weird saying this because it's not even like my moment, but I do think maybe the most, I guess, iconic moment of being in the studio was when... Julio said that Milwaukee was frauds and that Miami would beat them and called it <laughs> and called it like Don't bring that shit back up, bro. February 2020. Julio's, Julio's going to be talking about that for the entirety of this episode. And the thing to me, I thought about it and it was crazy that that happened pre-pandemic. Right. Like, wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah. But you know what yeah. like, you called it? Like, we called you out on it in studio and um, you, <laughs> I guess you were correct. But also like another moment when we were talking about the best shooting guards, I remember this pre-pandemic and we went so far past our allotted studio time that two people that wanted to use the studio came in and (laughs) stared at us remember that shit (laughs) they stared at us for like 15 minutes as as like uh you know they wanted us to get out of here and we just kept we just kept arguing i couldn't let it go i I think it was the james harden was better than kobe yeah yes i do remember that because that that was between y'all two really i kind of sat back on that one but i do remember that moment And, and and I don't know where those two people are at right now, but I'll say this. We were the first person to book this motherfucking studio yep. when we got back. So mm-hmm. we dedic- we on this. We on this. But anyways, my favorite moment. There's a lot of moments. I will say in terms of moments, I said moments a lot right there. Anyways, I feel like the best moments we've had on this podcast came post-pandemic. And what I'm really excited for is the sort of rapport that we've built up amongst ourselves 
being applied to a setting where we're all there in the same place at the same time. We've done it before, like over at Julio's house or over at our old crib where we're all kind of crowded around one mic, but it's going to be different. All of our own mics, all of us in the same room, able to engage with one another, but I'm very excited for that. That's neither here nor there. I digress. My favorite moment, or at least the one that really sticks in my memory, I do remember that uh, episode with the draft. That's up there because that Scottie Pippen shit's still ill. We can't just call Scottie Pippen 3 and D because we feel like he would be a 3 and D. He's 3 and D. He's not 3 and D. He's Kawhi Leonard. No. He's Kawhi Leonard. He's not. But, uh, he, never mind. That's neither here nor there. He's Kawhi Leonard. My favorite moment, at least the moment that I knew this shit was going to work as a podcast, was the basketball mecca episode. That was such a good discussion, and that was, I, I remember like we just talked around that New York versus Los Angeles for like a good thirty minute chunk of the episode. That's when I was like, "All right, I fuck with you." Well, I knew I fucked with you, Eddie. I didn't know how it was going to work with you, Julio, because like I feel like off the rip, we and Eddie already knew each other. You're still kind of in, trying to ingratiate yourself into that, so I feel like that's when it was like, "Okay, I know I can really go at this guy, and we can have like a good solid yeah. discussion." So the basketball mecca was definitely fun. Um. Trying to think, there were other fun moments. I liked when we called Eli Lesser in. Shout mm-hmm. out, he, yeah, that that was a cool little episode. Um, I liked the John Morant little rant I went on. John Morant rant. The one of the earliest episodes, the top ten, our top ten list. I guess it's become like an annual tradition now. Yes, yeah. I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that. When I said when I said Carl Anthony Towns was the fourth best player in the league, Yo. there was some wild shit. Yo. There was some wild shit said. <clears throat> I will say, I feel like. Personally, I don't know how y'all feel about it, but my basketball acumen has, has like grown. It grown exponentially yes. since we started this yes. podcast. Like I look back at some shit that yes. I was saying, like, what the hell? What <laughs> yes. is you talking about right now? That, so. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the greatest things that n- now that you say that. Yeah. Right. Because we, we, we really do come at it with a lot of different perspectives. And so we hear each other out. We may... You know, disagree, but we we learn. We learn from each other. Exactly. Definitely. That's one thing I will say is that like we all kind of had our own learning curves to go on that existed in different spheres, and I feel like hearing each other talk about things at least opens our eyes to other perspectives. Obviously, I don't know what it's like to exist on the basketball court to the extent that Julio does. I wasn't tapped into like, um, I'm not gonna peg you the analytics guy, but like, yeah, I didn't know like anything about basketball analytics until we started engaging with it. So it's like, you know, yeah, we come from different perspectives and all that cool stuff, but that's neither here nor there. I'm happy as hell to be back in the studio. Let's go ahead and jump into the meat of this episode. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Let's go ahead and jump back into it. Hello. You've reached Hoop and Holler. A square one podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo Whoa. of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. So <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact I'm that you knew there were two underscores before the said at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. We're going to start with something that happened a couple of weeks ago, but something that was near and dear to my heart, an experience that's really unforgettable. I'm going to keep on trying to replicate it year in and year out. We went to the Summer League. It was myself, Eddie, Cameron, 
Julio did not pull up. Unfortunately, Julio, you got to pull up next year yeah. because it was so fun. You go ahead and start, Eddie. You can talk about your experience. Well, I don't know if Julio would like it because he doesn't want to watch a bunch of 20-year-olds. I, I do if they're good. Because it's like, yeah, I feel like Julio would really mess with I, it because it's very basketball I do. I, I like, I'm not going to say that it's not fun. I, I bet it is watching a bunch of basketball games. But I feel like this year in particular stood out whether or not you were there. You know, with the, with the high profile players that you know existed in this draft, and the kind of media hype mixed in with the play on the court, um, this is one of the main takeaways that I had from summer league. From some of the games that I watched, is that it really, really felt like an a bunch of AAU games, like an AAU tournament. I was literally that's the observation and, I made, man. And for for the first time, not to say that I haven't watched summer league before. I, I watched it a lot with D'Angelo Russell. Um, Caruso, Lonzo Ball, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, uh, uh, like a bunch of those guys. But never before has it felt like an AAU tournament. And I feel like this year it really shot up, maybe because it was the names and and those who were drafted. um, Jalen Green, Josh Christopher have such a big social media appeal and following that I I just felt like this year was different. Um, Even next year, not to say that it won't be fun, but this year was like a special year in summer league. And part of that too, I think, was not having it last year. Yeah. So now it's it's almost like, you know, like everything that people missed out on during the pandemic, it's like double once you come back. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like the hype for summer league in that sort of event is now increased because we didn't have it in twenty twenty. But yeah, I, I would say my experience with it was um I mean, it was obviously phenomenal. Um just I guess day to night marathon basketball games like that's a dream and then you get to see these players that in a couple of years are going to become stars mm-hmm. right that their their access is going to become more limited but you see mm-hmm. like Jalen Green out there when he's getting his first steps into the league and I think I saw him on TV first the game against the Cavs but you see him play in person and you notice that he's just oozing stardom mm-hmm. um so like that that's what you see when you watch the him stars and both Cade, yeah, but I, I mean, Cade is obviously really good, and and I think he was sort of underwhelming in summer league because of the context he was around. Like, you need to put him around like better players than Detroit did. But um, also, like, I went to watch because of my Warriors, and the Warriors have you know young guys they want to show off in the summer league, um, particularly Kuminga and Moses Moody. Um, Reagan and I, like, you know, we we both kind of came away saying Kuminga really impressed us yeah like i was i was a fan of what moses moody did as well um but yeah i mean it was really phenomenal experience and and the sort of intimacy you get with how close you can get to the courts especially in the small gym mm-hmm. it's almost like a high school gym yeah the that's why i felt up. that really felt like an aau tournament yeah and you're you're really just walking on the baseline and you know you see the players on the bench and you guys see leangelo play I did. For like a brief, yeah, I think we saw like a half of Leandro play. Yeah, he definitely had the most fans at Summer League, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, so I was there for three days and that was really a great experience. But I know, Reagan, you have more to say because you got to, you know, run a pickup basketball game. I was going to say, like, you talk about uh, Kaminga. Shout out PD Webb because I'm going to be going on his stream later on tonight, um, which I guess bears no relevance to you all because you're not hearing it. <laughs> you're going to hear this after the fact, but... Yeah, I'm gonna go on his stream and talk about Jonathan Kaminga because that's a guy. It was funny. We were we were sitting in the. Um, I didn't really have sentiments on on Kaminga beyond maybe he shouldn't have fallen as far as he did. But Eddie and I and Cameron sitting there, 
Um, I think he made like two plays back to back. I'm like, Eddie, he got more tools from an aptitude standpoint than anyone's really giving him credit for. So I'm going to try to unpack that through some tape a little bit tonight. But um, yeah, the coolest part about it for me, man, was just the people. Like never before have I been in a setting that was so basketball oriented from a purity standpoint like obviously you can go to a game I've been to so many games in my life I can't even count them all Memphis Grizzlies season tickets but when you go to a basketball game that's an NBA team you're going to be around a bunch of 40 50 year olds that's there to get drunk don't know shit about the game right they're just there to have a good time which is fine to quote an old Julioism that's fine but it's not the same as like going to summer league where every single person that you're meeting and interacting with and being around they do this shit they live this shit. They breathe basketball. That's what they do. So that was really cool for me to be in the gym and to have like uh, Sharif Cooper left-handed pocket pass be the thing that people are ooing and eyeing at. Like obviously it's cool to see Kai Jones jump above everybody and dunk it, but the real like nuances of the game, everyone's there. You can look over somebody's shoulder that's sitting in front of you. They're typing down notes about the certain plays that they're running. In the, in the, like it's a very – well, it, it, it's somewhat, we talk about Meccas, like that's somewhat of a, a, a Mecca for everybody who really loves basketball to come congregate and exchange ideas. So one of the cooler things that I got to do, shout out Draft Twitter. Yeah, we, we uh, I booked a gym um, somewhere in Vegas and we went and played with one another. That was pretty cool. Um, shout out Petey Webb, shout out Robel, shout out Mike De La Rosa who goes here. Um, all of them. I, I thought I held my own. I was a little nervous going in. I'm like, these guys know a lot more about basketball than I do. And I'm not going to be the one. To, I'm not going to hold y'all. Like, they do this shit for real, for real. But I felt like I held my own, partially because of my vertical. But, you know, <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll be in that. But, no, it, it was definitely fun. I, I'm going back every single year. That's a promise. But one thing I do want to say, Eddie had an opportunity to talk his shit, and he didn't. I want everyone to know. Because y'all heard the shit that he be saying about James Wiseman. Y'all heard, oh, da, da. He's dumb. He's stupid. We walk right by James Wiseman, Julio. He's coming this direction. We're going that direction. We're literally brushing shoulders. Well, not brushing shoulders with James Wiseman. He's fucking <laughs> brushing seven feet tall. We're like, our hips. shoulders brushing his hip. I'm like, Eddie, that's James Wiseman. Go ahead, talk your shit, bro. What's up with all that shit you've been talking, bro? Go ahead, tell him. Tell him all that shit you Nope. Not a word. Not a word. So, y'all heard it here first. I'm and not going to hate on a player. You're not going to hate on a player? No. Not to his face? No. Because you heard it, you hate on players on the podcast sometimes, but they don't no. care about me. No, and that, they that's very true. And that's very shouldn't. true. If 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 Eddie would have gone to James Wiseman, said, "Bro, you're stupid as fuck," you know, like, okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Summer league was definitely fun. I wanted y'all to give me who was the singular player, um, for whatever reason that may be, whether that was because they just played exceptionally well, they played a lot better than you thought that they were gonna play, um, they showed tools that you didn't think that they were going to have who was the player that that you found yourself kind of keying in on throughout the summer league wow that's tough i'll start yeah i'll yeah. it's trey murphy for me um because summer league it's a lot of noise you know like some people can do well because it's summer league um especially like if you're an older player like if you're a third year player second year player um or if you went to college for like three years it's like you're supposed to show off and look good so. or if you're michael beasley <laughs> yeah michael beasley and <laughs> kenneth reed like i'll take it with a grain <laughs> of salt um like even if you're you know a, like a 19 year old rookie and you know the context the game context is really good and you're dropping 25 a game like like cam thomas who, who was impressive i'm also going to take it with a grain of salt but sometimes you watch prospects that play really well in summer league and it feels like it can translate to the nba game 
And I felt like I saw that with Trey Murphy, mm. who was really scoring a lot. And, you know, he was defending some of the best players in summer league. And it kind of looked like to me that everything that he did was translatable because he wasn't, you know, picking on, um, you know, people in summer league because he was older because he was just 20 and he wasn't, you know, uh, picking on summer league players because he ran faster and was stronger and can jump higher. Mm -hmm. Like he was doing it because he genuinely has really good basketball skills that I actually didn't realize he had coming out of Virginia. So, I mean, good for the Pelicans. They got a, you know, I think they got a really good player in Trey Murphy. And that's the one dude, if I have one like reasonable takeaway from summer league, you know, that's not built off of enrolling away from a hype train. It's that I think Trey Murphy is the guy that went from, I'm not sure about him to, I'm like pretty sure that he's going to be a good player. I, I didn't watch a whole lot. Um, but the one guy that kind of did stand out to me and, uh, uh, j just as a preface, you, you, you know, you guys heard me mention this before <clears throat> when I look in the draft, I don't really get excited about like the top prospects. I more so get excited about Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain, <laughs> like that, like that. He, he's like the, the premier just example of player that I really do get excited about. So um, in losing Alex Caruso this, uh, this offseason, you know, you, you start looking for players that not, maybe not be, are going to be able to replicate what Alex Caruso did to that large extent, but you look for uh, diamonds in the rough. So the guy that kind of got excited or, or that I got excited for was Shondi Brown. Okay. Just I like, thought Matt McGlung was about to come out of your mouth. No, 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 I was no. like, no fucking way, Julio. You no, know no, no, too no. much about basketball for no, that. No. <laughs> um, Shondi Brown is, is uh, he, he's not a big name. He's just a, a very bulky, strong dude who will impose himself um, on the offensive end by driving uh, uh, down the lane. And he's not the greatest shooter, but if he were to improve that, I think he has the you know defensive versatility to defend guards, um, and strength to to kind of match up with dudes at that next level, um, in the NBA. So that that's kind of one guy who kind of impressed me. I actually don't know who that is. So I'm gonna have to check him out for sure. Yeah. He played oh. at Michigan. Michigan, last year, right? Yeah. Is he a Laker? Yeah, he's a Laker. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say like on the Lakers team because they got we got a few dudes. Austin Reeves. Yeah. So I was gonna because okay. Ayayi was solid. I think Ayayi is really gonna good. be a play. He, but, mark my words, he gets minutes this year. Oh, he def he should. He I think minutes. I think he should. Um, but Austin Reeves was like Austin. intriguing to me because I didn't take him seriously, you know, as a prospect because you know he like sometimes he, you get the white guy hype, right? <laughs> and it's like he just doesn't really have the athleticism to hang. I thought, but I saw him in summer league and he just showed a lot more than I was expecting. Like sneaky good defender. I, I hate. Saying sneaky, that about sneaky athletic, yeah. <laughs> bring your lunch pail to work. I hate Come that, on. but you know, like, high IQ. He can shoot, has some movement shooting, like he has some wiggle with the handle, and he's also six five, like bigger than I thought he was. So, I don't know. The Lake, the Lakers got some interesting two way guys. Yeah, yeah. The guy for me was Jacob, man. So, I was so I'm not even on the fence. I just I, I didn't know when it came to him because obviously we know he's a bucket, right? But he's not enough of a bucket. Yeah. Like his teammate, Jalen Green, he's enough of a bucket to where I'm comfortable, even in an NBA setting, saying, here's the ball, you go ahead and do you. Jacob is a bucket, but he's not enough of a bucket for me to put you on that pedestal in the NBA, right? Mm -mm. So it's what skills are now going to be able to translate for you that you can help your team right now. How tall is he, 6'7"? 
He's only. I thought. I said the same thing. I thought he was six seven. He's six, only four, like six, six four, five, six, six four, five, yeah. like somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So he's not that tall. But I will say, and I really took this away from the Pistons game. He can sit down. He can slide his feet very well. He's going to be a good defender. And I couldn't exactly pinpoint why at first. I think I said this to you, Eddie. He has a kind of like not. We're not body shaming out here. He doesn't have a weird body. He has a different body. And I couldn't he really be strong though. He he's very strong. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. He's very strong. Um, but I couldn't really pinpoint what it was about his body that was like there's something different there. Are are you sure that he and sorry to cut you off, but no, you are did. you sure that he just didn't play great defense because he got hyped for the game? No. Like like social media he hype. Actually like, are you gonna carry that into an eighty two game season? I don't I don't see when that. your job depends on it. And one thing I will say that I, I saw from him, and the fact that this manifested itself in summer league gives me confidence that it's going to translate to the NBA level, is that he's a competitor, right? This Pistons-Rockets game, that was the most hyped game of the entire summer league. Everyone who went to the summer league was in the stadium for that game. You could tell the bad blood, not bad blood, but definitely a, ri- a level of rivalry between Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham. Both teams were amped for that game. And Josh Christopher took it upon himself when he was asked to, defend Cade Cunningham he really went at him and he was really sliding his feet very well and the thing about his body I brought it up before he has short legs and long arms Mm -hmm. that's what I picked up on it because when he runs he like scuffles and it's like these two tall to be scuffling you 6'5 you're supposed to be striding but he has short legs and long arms strong legs you can't jump like he does without Mm -hmm. strong legs but short strong legs and long arms so what does that mean defensively Long arms, we know what that helps, right? Length, passing lanes, able to get into somebody's stuff, blocking shots, contesting shots, all that good stuff. But short legs at 6'5", now you can slide your feet a lot better than somebody your height might be able to. So if you have legs like a 6'2", 6'3", guy, but you're 6'5", you're going to be able to slide them a little bit better. So I'm intrigued with him defensively and what his potential might be along the area. I think given the Rockets' makeup, there's potential for him to get minutes this season. He probably will get minutes this season. And I'm just interested after what I saw in the summer league to see how his games translates defensively because he's a guy that I feel like if you ask him, yo, this is how we win this game is you need to defend, he's going to take on that task and do it to the best of his ability because that's what he, he was selfless enough to do it in the summer league. Why wouldn't he be selfless enough to do it in the NBA? So that was very intriguing for me. I don't think he's going to be like the same sort of bucket getter that we saw him in college. Um, or in, not even in high school. In high college, school. He, like, he was just eyed okay. at it, right? Yeah. Um, but there's a place for him in the NBA, even if it's 3 and D. And I hate to just throw the 3 and D on there, but mm-hmm. the de- the defense potential is definitely You want there. him to be Lou Dort, essentially. I mean that's that's a pretty kind of like a little bit like uh, uh, that might be a little bit of a stretch but when I think about Lou Dort as a guy who displayed a lot of skills that were good for his context at Arizona State funny they went to the same school um but not necessarily translatable to the NBA but particular skills that would be translatable yeah kind of has that potential yeah. so um yeah that's my takeaway was Josh Christopher yeah, I feel I feel like he just would have to he, he would just have to transition his game away from the mindset of the go to scorer because yeah. he's not going to be he that did in that. the NBA. And yeah, that, and that's the that. part that surprised me, or maybe it shouldn't have surprised me because I wasn't paying enough attention. Um, but yeah, transitioning his mindset away from the dominant scorer to, you know, being able to score but also do other things. You know, being a multifaceted 
wing, even if he's a little small for a wing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it seems like he's understanding that role, which is good because I didn't, I don't know, maybe I thought he would come out firing like Cameron Thomas. Right. <laughs> he yeah. was also very good. Cameron, Cameron Thomas, Thomas was very good. good. Um, I, I guess to pull out the Rashad Phillipsism, right? We knew Jacob could hoop, but we need him to play basketball now, right? And the fact that he showed me he was able to play basketball at a high level, that's going to be translatable, especially when you think about a guy like Lou Dort, rookie year versus sophomore year, right? He started doing a little bit more of those things that we saw him do in college in bits and pieces, putting the ball on the floor, making stuff happen. Um, once you get that sort of leeway from your team and you approve upon your skill set, it's there for Josh Christopher, just not right now. So what can you do to make sure you get to that second contract right now as you develop your skill set? Mm -hmm. I, I think that it's definitely there for him. I see but hashtag Yoda. Hashtag hashtag Yoda, bro. Come on. Rashad Phillips 2.0. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was the summer league. Let's go ahead and jump into something that happened today. A trade, three team trade. Y'all might have to help me out here because I don't know the exact functions of the trade. I just know that Laurie Markinen is now going to be a Cleveland Cavalier. Larry Nance is going to be a Portland Trailblazer. I'm not sure what went from Derek Jones Port went to Chicago. That's yeah. kind of interesting. Along with a first and a second. They're both protected. Damn. Center Derrick Jones in Chicago. And what what, <laughs> else, what what else did the Cavs get? Nothing. Just Lori. See, the, I just have a problem with that because why would you want Lori over Larry Nance? The only reason that I can estimate is that... In the long term, Larry Nance is probably going to be cheaper too. He's probably going to be cheaper and depending better. on how Lori pans out. Well, and I think they, that's they what gave Lori four years $67 million, So... Larry Nance is going to be cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is an upside play by Cleveland. Um, basically knowing, okay, we have Darius Garland. He's young. We have Evan Mobley. He's young. Isaac Okoro's young. Colin Sexton's young. And we damn near not even trying to pay him, right? Our team's not ready to go right now. So in the meantime, as our guys are getting ready to enter that echelon of a team that's competing in the play-in tournaments, then in the playoffs, maybe one day for a chip, who knows? Let's see what Laurie Markkinen can do outside of the context of Chicago. That clearly wasn't a good fit, but he was a number nine overall pick. Seven. Seven overall pick for a reason. There was some talent there. Maybe our player development can bring a little bit more out of him than they were in Chicago. This is an upside play by Cleveland. I'm not necessarily mad at it because Jared Allen and Evan Mobley aren't going to be able to coexist when it's actually time to compete. So you're going to need someone else in that front court Holy that can crap. coexist with Evan Mobley. I forgot they they had Evan Mobley. There's a big city right there. Yeah. Yeah. Run Laurie at the three. <laughs> <laughs> nah, Ke but what, Kevin Love at the two or what? Kevin Love's coming to LA. We'll, we'll get to that later, that though. Later. Yeah, we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> but what were y'all thoughts on it? Or what I, are your thoughts on it, Eddie? Um, so I like, so this is how I see it because Larry Nance is old it feels like he's, he's only like been 30 around. right yeah i thought you would think he's, he's 30 like, you would think well, he's like no uh, well, you, you, you have to think about it but because he, he was a four-year player if you're a four-year player right you graduate at 22 you get drafted at 22 he spent like i don't know how many he years is 28 years old yeah bro okay like that that's already like in the middle of his prime and Damn. The, and the way we talk about him or like some people he's talk about, think player. about him especially laker fans right because you know y'all are attached to larry nance it's like He's, he's like Brandon Ingram, you know, age development curve right now. Yeah. But, like, he's he's the type of player that is, like, solidified. As in, like, we know what kind of player he is. We know what role he plays. And he's damn good at it. So I thought, I don't know what his market is, but I feel like a team with a mid-first or late-first, um, like, I feel like that was the market for Larry Nance. 
Hell yeah, I'm giving up a, a mid first. And I and I for think Larry Nance. that might yeah. have been on the table. Like I wanted the Warriors to get him. I don't know how they would have. I thought like Boston should have gone. Uh, oh my him. god! But anyways, that, a lot a lot of teams um should have asked for Larry Nance. So I think a mid first was like a good price. So the question is for the Cleveland front office is, does a mid first in a future draft look better than investing on Laurie Markkinen right now? And to me, it's a yes. Like, I would rather have a mid-first than invest in Laurie Markkinen, especially given the mm. pieces Cleveland has right now. Mm. But it's not, like, that clear to me. Like, I'm not saying that, like, the 18th pick in 2023 is slam dunk better than you Laurie know, Markkinen, Laurie Markkinen yeah. right now. So, again, I'm not going to be super critical about Cleveland's front office in making this move. I just personally would have done it differently. And I also have a... a a vesting interest in seeing Larry Nance succeed, which is the part of the trade I want to talk about. Because if this deal happened last year and Portland got Larry Nance on top no, of you, you don't do this, don't do this, because you was talking about all that shit about they was good to go, like with what they had. No, I know he's no, 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 he's no, no, admitting no. you, you don't you don't uh, like you, you have to let me finish. Okay, yeah. I'm all saying right. that like last I'm gonna let year. You finish last year. If they if you're like they got Covington, they got Derek Jones, they got Larry Nance, you know, to complement the team. I would have been like this team, is, this team is making all the right moves mm. you know like they're they're coming out of the west whatever like i'm all in the thing is this is the type of move that i love for portland i love how he fits around dame mm -hmm. you know he gives him another passer option as a big who can handle the ball and he can stretch out he, he, he oh. was 36 percent from three last year yeah. versatile defender um i know we don't do steals and blocks as a measure of defense but he's always a one steal one block kind of oh. guy mm -hmm. um really active lob threat you know all of that but it's like, I just, I don't buy Portland anymore after oh, last no. year, after the Dame turmoil, after they didn't, um, or they did fire Terry Stotts, but they kept the same GM. Um, and the same team, practically. Like, how are you going to impress Dame when your only offseason move was re-signing Norman Powell and adding, uh, who'd they add? Tony Snell. Tony Snell. Ben McElmore. And Ben McElmore. Come come on. Bro. So I was like, I, come on. I, I don't know how to feel about Portland because on paper, I, I love their team, especially if they start Covington and Nance at the three and four and then move Powell to a six man. Mm. But it's Dame's like, checked out, though. Like, but it's like, yeah, I just I don't I don't know how to feel about Portland. Dame never checked out, though. Like, I don't he's, he's still going to try he's, his he's hardest, compete. but like on the court, but he's not invested. Like he knows he's out mm. if this season doesn't go as planned. That's interesting. Hmm. Well, I, I, I'm a. I guess I'm less concerned with what that means for Portland just because I've kind of conceded the fact that they're going to be a playoff team that probably gets bumped in the first on a good year, maybe the second round. That's just who they are. They don't have the talent to get over that hump. Um, this doesn't move the needle enough for that to change. But I'm intrigued with what Larry, or excuse me, with what Laurie Markkinen can be. There was a period in time where almost consensus it was like okay he has something right he averaged like what was it pushing 18 19 a yeah. game at one point he was almost 2010 i think his second yeah year. second year and yeah. obviously like those numbers aren't telling the entire story but there was something there at some point that at somewhere along the line got lost um in chicago has been an organization that's been through a lot of flux um i'm sure having or them trying to have kobe white handle the offense had something to do with it. I think you look at uh, Markkinen's game, there's a lot of 
almost like what you would probably call Anthony Davis syndrome, where it's like you are big, particularly bigger than the guy who's defending you. Like, like Chris take Stapps. advantage of that. You don't have to just shoot over him. Kind of Chris Stapps elements there to it. Um, but it's not like he's incapable as a basketball player. He's had two consecutive seasons that have been disappointing, um, and he's kind of the unassuming guy where people – he doesn't even at his best, his play isn't flashy enough to have people sold on him, right? But I think there's something solid in there that can be recuperated given the right circumstances. Is Cleveland the right circumstances? I don't know. You have a loaded front court, you have still a back court that it looks like if Colin Sex is not gonna get traded, um, if they do the same thing that they did last year, they're gonna have Colin Sexton have more uses than Darius Garland, which they shouldn't because Darius Garland is fucking good. <laughs> but I don't know. It, 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 I still think there's, there's something there with Laurie. I don't know if Cleveland's the place that they can bring it out, but I'm not out on him as a player. Mm-hmm. That, that's I, think, I think that's fair. The only thing with Laurie is that, and I've said this about this general archetype of player, that the stretch four, like if you go around the league, the traditional stretch four does not exist anymore. It's kind of like how... There's just five. It's kind of like how, you know, like four years ago we were talking about... Um, you know, oh, slow-footed bigs are getting phased out of the league because they can't hang. Well, like, stretch fours can't hang Unle- anymore. Unless they can move. Like, Larry Nance would be a stretch four, exactly, but, but he I'm, can move. But when I, when I say stretch now. four, I think of, like, Ursan. LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, Ursan Ilyasova, Ryan Anderson. You know, like, those type of players. Ursan? Keep that name in mind. Okay, interesting. Interesting. But my point <laughs> is, because, Fuck, no. because Lori is... <laughs> Laurie <laughs> is big, but he can't protect the rim, and he also can't move his feet. He's just a nomad defensively, right? Like, you got nowhere to put him. And his offensive game is just not skilled enough because I, I think what he is good at is, you know, catch-and-shoot threes and some movement mm-hmm. shooting, and he has some, you know, interesting <laughs> dribble stuff, uh, yeah. off-the-dribble stuff. But there's just nowhere you can put him defensively. And at his size and his movement, it's like you can't have and another person. Yeah, you can't you can't have him playing the five, but yeah. you have him playing the four and Jarrett Allen at the five. It's just gonna be a very limited yeah. team, um, you know, like movement wise. So again, it, it's questionable for me. It's it's just like his outlook, the the Cleveland decision making process in acquiring him is is sort of questionable. Yeah. Um, I guess we can address the third component of the trade, which would be Derek Jones Jr. going to Chicago. Chicago. I guess a potentially good depth piece, but he stopped getting minutes over there in Portland, which was kind of surprising. Um, I didn't really even notice that till playoff time. I was like, where's Derek Jones doing it? Oh, sitting on the bench. Um, but how, how do we feel about his fit potentially? It's, it's exactly what you said. It's an interesting move for depth. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's not like he makes him worse. Um, but I will say that maybe you want to add some, If I, unless I'm not thinking of their whole entire roster correctly, maybe you want to add some shooting to that team. Like, I love DeMar DeRozan, not the greatest shooter. I love Zach Levine. He can shoot, but I wouldn't say he's consistent enough, and his volume is so high that, you know, it's hit and miss for him, especially when he's taking tough shots. Um, and I feel like he can shoot that thing. He can, but... Wasn't it, he, like, pushing 40? He was, like, 42-something percent, right? He can shoot it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not a shooter. But, like, who else? Who else? Gonna... I mean, Lonzo is a legit shooter. Okay. Yeah. And that's um, it? 
Lonzo's yeah. not consistent <laughs> enough. Yeah. That, that, that's why. I mean, Vucevic can shoot it. Vucevic, yeah. Vucevic okay, can that's shoot fair. It. That's he fair. Shoot it. That's fair. Um, but yeah. other than that, I don't, I don't know. It, it's a fine move. I'm not nothing to get excited for. Yeah. I think they they did it for transactional reasons, and and they got two picks out of it. So, which is you know, I think that's what they really did it for. Yeah. I don't think they're even planning on playing Gary Jones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, we can go ahead and keep it pushing to kind of a more conceptual topic. Um, Lori Marketing was a restricted free agent. And one thing that I've been a little bit more interested in lately um, is just like how contracts work. I think it was while I was thinking about like potential moves that the Lakers could be making, I was thinking, dang, I wish NBA teams could restructure deals like NFL teams can. Um, No way. And I think that they actually, I swear somebody restructured their deal. It might have been Taj Gibson. So maybe you can, and they just don't do it as often. Yeah, That's besides the point. What I want to talk about is this idea of restricted free agency and the pros and cons of it and whether it should exist in the NBA um, as a form of tying a player to a team even though their contract is technically up. Mm-hmm. What are yeah. y'all's thoughts on it? I, I think – I really do think it should be eliminated. Uh, I, I don't know if people – really know about the process uh, um, enough. So in restricted free agency, let's say Eddie's a restricted free agent. Uh, (laughs) Reagan's the, let's say you're Kendrick Nunn, right? You're you're the. Ooh, can we pick a different one? <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, oh, no. Let, let's say you're Kendrick Nunn. You're Pat Riley, or, I'm or Pat Riley, the owner of who's the owner of the Miami Heat? Pat Riley. No, yeah. it's uh, Mickey Arison. Mickey Arison, yeah. and I'm I'm the Lakers, right? So. I don't want to offer Kendrick Nunn an offer at the beginning of free agency. Why? Okay. If I offer him an offer, let's say it's five years, $100 million, just throwing out a, a number out there. It's a lot of money, Eddie. That, that, that salary Kendrick. is going to be tied on my books as if I'm already using it and I can't use that salary elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, the Miami Heat get two full uh, 48 hours to either um, – essentially let him come to the Lakers or say, hey, no, I'm going to sign him to this contract and he's going to stay. They can match it. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and match it and he's going to stay on the Miami Heat. Now, why Why is that 48 hours kind of problematic? Well, A, the Lakers don't get to use that salary elsewhere and B, um, uh, uh, free agency for the most part is over in like two days. Mm-hmm. All the free agents get signed. So... If he, if if I'm tied as a team, as the Lakers, I don't want to be tied up, and um, as the Miami Heat, you know, you don't want to, you kind of want to suppress the market, and that's essentially what restricted free agency does. And so, a lot of guys in restricted free agency, they don't get the contract that they feel that they deserve and that they fairly, you know, do deserve. Mm-hmm. So th- that's the kind of predicament that I feel like Kendrick Nunn found himself in didn't get the contract he was most excited about, the, the number that he wanted and felt like he deserved. So he said, why not go get a ring? And I feel like that happened to Laurie Marketing too. Obviously, he got a good number, but it is problematic. And I'm just of the opinion, like, I don't know if I'm not thinking uh, of the scenarios enough or of the pros enough of restricted free agency. But in my mind, if you're a free agent, bro, you should just be a free agent, like an unrestricted free agency. And that... And that's, you know, point blank, period. Uh, I don't know if you guys feel any differently, uh, if you guys see any benefits to restricted free agency. I mean, the only pros lie in the, like, franchise, right? Like, that, that helps exactly, me exactly. if I'm a franchise who wants to keep this but player. free agency by, like, 
I, I don't know how I think of it, how, how it, it should be theorized and practiced, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is you're free. but To I, go where you want. I, I don't know. I don't know. I will say, and maybe I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I don't know. But restricted free agency seems the most, when we're thinking about, I guess, helping somebody who would actually need it or a place that would actually need it, it would be small market teams wanting to maintain like a, a relationship with somebody that they drafted. Outside of that, I'm pretty much in 100% agreeance with you. It's really a fucked up system. Because um, no team wants to make an offer on that player. They want right. to wait. Exactly. Yeah. So, honestly, the, the benefit of what that means to a small market team really doesn't outweigh the lack of fairness that you're, that you're doing to the player because you're really backing, unless you're a superstar caliber talent and your team is going to want to offer you off-rip, right? all the money that you deserve and more, you really backed into a corner there. But, mm -hmm. Eddie, I have a feeling you would have some interesting sentiments on this, so I'll flip it to you. Um, Like, I don't I don't like being the dude that's like, I don't care about the players' money, like teams, you know, deserve this and that. But the truth is, given the way contracts are structured right now, right, rookie contracts are four years. Uh -huh. If you said you're tied to the team that drafts you for four years and then now you're free to go anywhere – like, damn man, we're just gonna see the Lakers, you know, and then and the you yeah. know, heat, heat and the and the you know the basically the big market teams in the finals every year. Like Zion would dip New Orleans in four years, you know. I mean, he would he's gonna dip in eight years or seven years, I guess. But basically, there's just no way for any team that doesn't have okay. cachet to retain their players. L let me let me ask you this: guys like Zion don't usually get to the end of that contract. They signed the the extension before even year. But the four thing is, comes. they only signed the extension because they know that if they, they hit free it. agency, I got you. Like they're gonna, you know, I they're, they're you. gonna, yeah, they're gonna match it anyways. I got you. If if there wasn't that restricted component of it, they would definitely look for greener pastures, right? I got you. And I think the four years for a um, team, and I know some teams are just horrible in, in operating, you know, their franchise, but. It's just impossible to build a winner if you only have four years of cost-controllable young talent and time to build a team out of it. Mm. And I like maybe maybe there's some way to work around it, but the competitive imbalance if you took away restricted free agency, I think would just be too much. In that, like the competitive balance is already like not great in the NBA, especially if you compare it to other sports leagues. Like it would get even worse if you take it away. The only thing I could think about and suggest is that in baseball so baseball when you hit the major leagues you have a running clock of service time mm -hmm. and once you hit six years you're a free agent um and there's no restricted free agency or anything there's not even a salary cap you just you know get whatever money you get whoever in got money let it fly exactly but see but but okay but in baseball the first three years on your rookie deal essentially right the first three years you are in the big leagues you get minimums, you get like 500K. And it's really fucked sometimes because you can be like the MVP yeah. and you get, you know, 500K a year. Um, but then the last three years of your rookie deal, you get you go through what is called arbitration. So you can either work as from your player side with the team side and settle on a number that's, you know, representative of how you played for the three years yearly um, of your playing. Or if you don't agree, then a independent arbitrator is like, boom, you get 6 million. You know, like your... Play, somebody from it, the outside comes in and says exactly. based on your play this is what i estimate yeah. you're worth and it's also a little flawed because 
So the market is kind of set by what the arbitrator deems like value and, you know, not valuable. And it's is there who who's the arbitrator? Like, is, it, is that something from agreed, the MLB? It's agreed upon between the Players Association and the league hmm. as like, you know, like there's like, like one guy. I don't like that. I think I don't like I don't know if it's one guy or not. Basically, most players and teams, because you want to build relationships, right? They agree on a contract beforehand mm -hmm. in that, like, instead of going to arbitration, it's like, OK, let's do a one year, like five million deal for this for this year because that's you know like that's about the money that you'd get through arbitration anyways but let's just you know work it out agree to agree to uh, a length uh, agree to number but so maybe you could apply to the nba where it's like okay you get seven years of rights to a player but the last four years like you have to work an arbitration number out or something like that like that's the only way i can see it work because the main thing that I think of is that you have to probably at least have six or seven years of theoretically guaranteed rights over a player. But what if I'm in Detroit and don't want to be a freaking piston? Like, like and, and I I understand that. But the thing is, as if you're the NBA commissioner, if you're Adam Silver, if you're you know trying to figure out the the CBA of the league, you just have to be responsible for all. 30 teams yeah you know even though you know the lakers are going to draw the most like you know eyes and everything but you just have to give teams somewhat of a chance to compete that's fair and to do that you know the draft obviously and some people said you, we need to get rid of the draft altogether which i think is an interesting thing to get into that i really i still don't know i still don't know Coming how to straight out of college slash high school because they say the draft i get my pick of the litter i mean it kind basically kind of mm. it kind of works like that but my point is like because the way team building works in this league and other sports leagues in America um, is drafting, right? So drafting is such a huge component of it. And then retaining young, talented player rights for, you know, a certain amount is the second arm of that. And in the NBA, I think like six or seven years is a number you, you just have to have to be able to give teams a chance to win. Like, like the Suns. Imagine if, you know, Devin Booker after year four when the Suns were terrible – was like let me let me go to the Lakers and he would have good reason to like he would have good reason to but guess what the Suns in year six things take time of his deal like figured it out okay right like how, how, built how, together infrastructure that's an anomaly that's an anomaly but the thing is you just for have, every Devin Booker you got a Carl Anthony exactly Towns. exactly and I agree but you just have to you got really multiple Carl Anthony Towns is honestly that's that's absolutely true but you just I think you just have to give teams the chance some some opportunity to be like prove yourself that you can win not only for the league but also for the you know star players that they draft then if they're taking that much control over the league as they should maybe as maybe they should uh shouldn't adam silver maybe i know you can't fire owners but maybe oh i should, really wish you could maybe you should look at some front offices and be like y'all need some restructuring and this is this is the NBA, you know. This is not not saying this is my league, but for the benefit of the league, maybe you got to bounce. I like that because didn't they do that? Isn't the whole CP3 uh, fucking basketball reasons they were running that franchise at the time, yeah. right? Yeah. And David Stern was like, "Yeah, no, we were yeah. not doing that." So I kind of like that. I mean, in emergency scenarios like you know, been the, the, shitty the, for years. The Donald Sterling bullshit. But that's like different. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's like extenuated. That that's like of more face of the league. But, like, I mean, he was ass too, though. Like, like he was a garbage owner. He, like but, outside from that. But like, I like. I, that. I, I agree though. Like if Adam Silver is like Glenn Taylor, who you know he sold his team now in Minnesota. But Glenn Taylor's you know reputation, one of the worst owners, right? Like 
absolutely terrible at running a team, mm -hmm. doesn't spend his money, doesn't know how to, you know, organize a good leadership structure, does not have a cohesive vision for what he wants to do with this team. If Adam Silver or David Stern back then is like, look, Minnesota has not been good for like forever because you suck and it's bad for basketball quality. You know, it's it's decreasing our competitiveness. Exactly. I like it's that a, a lot. It's a stain on our league. Like you can keep your billions of dollars and, and cash out or whatever because like you, like there's no way you can not give them right. money. Um, but someone else has to run the team. Or you, you know, can be I a, like a, a, a side owner. Or, I don't know. I, I feel like, okay, put it this way. If I'm a player and I get drafted, I play like shit, what's going to happen to me? Cut. I'm out the league. Going to China. Yeah. If I'm an owner, I have a team, Exa and that team is shit, what should happen to me? And and the other thing is that if there's any report whatsoever on any owner being afraid to spend an extra twenty million, forty million, you should be out, bro. You should uh, any you should be any out. report that you're not equipping your team to the best of your ability to like like lay a foundation upon which they can build winning. Like, like you know, if if you're one of those owners that are stingy, that really just wants to put people in the seats and, and try to just make as much money as possible, and you're not about the product on the court itself. Like James Dolan, I, obviously the Knicks looked good last year, but you know, it's, there's a lot of years that you spend as the owner that you know everybody's gonna come to the Madison Square Garden. There should definitely be audits. No, I I think that there would, that would definitely be a good idea because it's not even necessarily like you know. Some, yeah, I would very much like it if we could just start flicking owners off. That would be mm -hmm. that would be really cool. Yeah. But even if it's just like a thing where it's like, okay, Dolan, let me know how your franchise is being run. That decision, who made that decision? Dolan gets to have to, well, you know, that was me. I made that decision. Well, okay, Dolan, you don't get to make basketball decisions anymore because uh -huh. your team is shit. And I know it's tough, but it would have to be easier than uh, kind of like the, let's say, throwing out an example like the NFL. The NFL, you know the owners run the league. In in uh, the NBA, it's you know, a little bit less of that. Obviously, the star more players. players. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe you could get a push like that if enough players rally. I would like that. I think that's a really – I mean, we answered this talking about restricted free agency, but I think we kind of uncovered what's a really interesting idea is – and mind you, these are, I, I guess the vernacular for it now is governors and not mm -hmm. owners. Um, yeah. Neither here nor there because <clears throat> you still have the unfair exchange of labor. They're um, still owning. Yeah, I mean, they, like, they just want to call it something yeah. that doesn't feel as charged, but there's still that dynamic of um, – executive versus labor the labor being the everything being heavily contingent on the labor and not really what's going on in the behind the scenes at least as it relates to the owner's job or governor whatever the hell you want to call it that still exists we just call it a different thing because everyone feels better about it mm -hmm. whatever but no owner slash governor accountability that that's an interesting topic that yeah. perhaps deserves some unpacking but that's for another day as always, thank you all so much for tuning in to this first edition back in this studio. I hope the audio quality is music to your ears or podcasting to your ears, whatever the hell you want to call it. As always, go follow the socials at HoopHollerPod on Instagram and Twitter. Also, go check, check us out on, on Good Good Pods. Is that mm -hmm. what it is? Yeah. Go check us out on Good Pods. It's like a social media platform that really just lets you share podcasts. I just stumbled upon it, talked to him for a little bit. Seems like a cool product. I don't know. If you like podcasts, go check it out. It's pretty cool. You just gave them free publicity. Yeah, they need to pay me for that. Good pods. You heard me. Give me the deal. You know what I want. Anyways, thank you all so much for tuning in. We will catch y'all next time.